0: Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you're a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting and be finding out what inspires them. We'll also be asking for them, them for their top tips, resources and philosophies that they are passionate about in this wonderful profession, and of course, share some of the funny stories that happen along the way. After experiencing years of incredible conversations on EduTwitter, I'm excited to create excited to create these podcasts to develop the primary conversation further and get to know more of the wonderful voices in primary education. Today, we have a great episode lined up for you, uh, the episode in which we go first into double figures. This is the 10th episode, so uh, happy 10th episode, everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast and please do share it. Uh, today, we have Emily Weston uh, on the podcast with us. Um, her twitter handle is at primary teach ew um, and i have only just now reading that twitter handle understood what you know why she has that tagline because it is primary teach and then her initials ew so there you go i've just learned that from doing this intro and reading that out loud to you uh she has uh, been tweeting uh, for a while on edu twitter has some great ideas to share particularly around english uh, she has a love of reading and she's also got a really interesting role at this moment in time of recording this podcast where she works in a secondary and working with the primary children, how they transition to secondary education as well. So, really interesting insight, I think, uh, from Emily today. So, uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Emily Weston. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Emily Weston. How are you doing, Emily?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. How are you?
0: Oh. Very good. It's been a lovely sunny day today. We're at the end of March and we're enjoying the sun before we hit the we- Easter weekend and it's meant to get cold. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks for coming today. Uh, we're going to start with our quick fire questions. So uh, if you can answer these as concisely as you can, we'll get, hopefully to get a bit of background and a context about where you are in your primary journey so far and some of uh, okay. some more details about yourself. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic. So Emily, what is your Twitter handle?
1: it's at primary teach ew
0: at primary teach ew that's excellent thank you so those that are listening know where to find you uh, how many years have you been in primary education
1: uh this is my seventh year now that i'm in education i did six in primary
0: excellent fantastic thank you very much uh, what has been your primary journey so far so what roles have you had along that way so far
1: so I started in year four and then went to year three. I did four years in year six. And during that time, I was also reading lead. Um, and then I moved recently to being a transition teacher in a secondary school. But that still involves me doing primary outreach as well.
0: Excellent. That sounds like a, like a really fascinating role at that, that transition teacher. And obviously lots of different opportunities there. So that's that's great. Um, mm-hmm. What is your favourite subject and why?
1: My favourite subject is English. Um, It's something I've always been passionate about. I did an English language degree and I've always loved reading. And that's something I really like passing on to the children as well.
0: Excellent. Fantastic. Lovely. Uh, Now, have you had a favourite teacher in your own education and and why? Who is that?
1: I've got two, actually. Um, The first one was Mr Gibbons when I was at primary school. I had him in year two and three. I always just found him really inspiring um and then the second was someone called mr day uh he was my pe teacher when i was at secondary school for a very short period of time i wanted to be a pe teacher and then i changed my mind <laughs> back to primary once i had finished my gcse so but he was um he was really inspiring as well just really enthusiastic and really made you want to learn so
0: that's excellent thanks for sharing that it's, it's great to get an idea of those inspirations behind the teachers today so that's great thank you And now the last one, and and by the way, you've done this really, really well so far. Really concise answers here. Um, (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, If you had to, or if you already do, you could choose one that you do already, what after-school club would you run?
1: I've actually just put down to do a creative writing club next term. Uh, I just think it's really great to be able to share extracts of books and actually inspire children to write their own. So that's what we'll be doing for the summer term at my school.
0: Oh, amazing. Fantastic. It's it's great to kind of share that love of writing outside of the curriculum, isn't it? I think that's a really great idea. That's wonderful. Thank you. Right. Well, we've uh, we've gone through that really, really well. Uh, so what we'll go on to then is our first main question, which uh, listeners will know uh, we begin with. And that is what inspired you, Emily, to become involved in primary education?
1: So I am one of those people who's actually known what I wanted to do my whole life. I've wanted to be a teacher since I can remember. Um, I used to um, those quiz books you do at home like the extra learning books I used to do them and get my parents to rub the answers out so I could do them again Um, (laughs) and I used to play schools all the time Uh, and then because of the inspirational teachers that I have had through my own um, education it's made me want to go into into teaching even more and I was a bit of a middle child I always coasted because I knew I was I knew I was bright and I didn't have to work too hard and I coasted quite a lot and i think again i want to be in primary so that i can you know focus on all the children and make sure that they don't do that because i'm sure there's things i didn't have to work as hard as um doing you know doing the work as an adult when i could have done it as a child i've had to learn how to work hard
0: <laughs> mm. yeah that's fantastic what so obviously you say it's, a, it's something that you've known for for a long long time was yeah. there any any doubt along that journey or or has it ever or has it just been teaching primary school in particular from day dot
1: there was a very short period of time I wanted to be an archaeologist because I was obsessed with time team uh but I realized how muddy I'd have to get all the time um and I did used to play three hours of sport a day really when I was younger so for again for a short period of time I did consider being a PE teacher but I decided that I liked the well-roundedness of primary more I liked being able to teach a range of subjects which still included PE um, and and things like English I'm really passionate about writing and, um, and I've liked as well that I've had to learn my own skills. So to do primary, I was, I was good at maths, but I've never had to think about how it works. Whereas doing primary, I, I had to learn that myself as well. So it's been able to continue my own learning
0: mm-hmm.
1: rather than just being one subject that I'm quite strong at.
0: That's great. I love that idea that, you know, it's, uh, it's obviously great because we get to experience all those subjects. But like you say, you yourself get to be developed in all those areas as well. I've never really even thought about it that way, um, but I love that. Yeah. It's a great privilege we have. Uh, and obviously we're kind of required to to get that subject knowledge in all the areas. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's for those that want to love learning and learn a wide variety of things, then primary education is a great way to do that. That's fantastic. What's, what's some of your favourite sports then? What, 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 would you, what would you What's your go-to sports?
1: uh hockey was always my favorite growing up um i i loved playing hockey for my town and for my school uh, i was rounders captain for 5 years which i loved who doesn't love rounders i was always the bowler um but i also played things like tennis badminton netball i i, I just loved sport um yeah. so i would i would try my hand at anything really um and i was always good at everything rather than excelling at something so <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: yeah. great bad yeah you know, I- And actually that goes back to actually what some of your inspiration was about being in primary education. That was challenging those that maybe, like you say yourself, you know, did well without having to put that effort forward without being challenged. And so because of that learning journey you went on, you want to inspire others to not do that. You know, uh, I love that. That's great. Uh, maybe we, can, we might come back to that a bit later on. Uh, but for now, let's move on to uh, the, the next question. So what is your funniest story from being in primary education or one of the funny stories that you can share with us?
1: Um, I would say it's, it's probably to do with how clumsy I am. Um, I am always falling over or tripping over. And one of the funniest stories that happened that children would still mention now if they ever see me is I was in a classroom and I tripped over my own foot, um, fell onto a flip chart board, uh, broke that and hit my head on a TV on the way down. And the class just went silent until I popped my head up and said, actually, it's fine, I'm okay. Um, and then everyone everyone thought it was funny and laughed. And it was only then that one girl put her hand up and said, do you realize you're bleeding? And I'd actually cut my head, but oh, no one no. Had wanted to mention it in case they hurt my feelings. So <laughs> that ended up being quite funny.
0: Uh, what what uh, age were the children? What what year group?
1: They were year six. So, <laughs> I thought they'd be a bit meaner to me, but they were actually really kind.
0: Oh, that sounds that sounds good. Yeah, you can get those year six cohorts. They might just laugh at that if they see that happen. Yeah. So no, yeah, that's, it. that's great. And you were bleeding. So what happened then? Like, did you did you have to leave the classroom, or did you just power on? <laughs>
1: just carried on <laughs> but they were used to me doing things like that about two weeks maybe, no maybe about three weeks earlier I'd fallen off a skateboard in the school hall and and dislocated something in my shoulder
0: whoa whoa, um, whoa, whoa. I... whoa, whoa. hang on hang on <laughs> let's rewind a second you were skateboarding in the school hall how, how did that come about
1: <laughs> a, child, a child got a mini skateboard for their birthday and I said oh I bet I could do that and it turns out I couldn't <laughs> <So> <laughs> skateboarding is not something I'm good at <laughs>
0: Yeah, we'll leave skateboarding off the pre-p curriculum for your class. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, let's
1: not put that on there.
0: No, <laughs> that's brilliant. Well, it it does sound like that it's probably a, a, a one in, in a catalogue of things that have maybe happen in terms of in terms of that area. That's great. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, well, I'm glad to see that you're okay. Obviously, you were okay because you know you're here today, having this conversation. So we we can laugh at that I now. Made
1: it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. That's great. Um, Fantastic. Right. Let's move in now uh, to your primary three. So, of course, these are three things. And as listeners know, um, they are the three primary things about primary education that you think are really, really important. So we've got uh, it could be a resource, a piece of advice or a philosophy or anything really about primary education that you are passionate about. So you sent me these ahead of time, which I really am grateful for. And so your first one that you want to talk about uh, is books uh, and just the the really important resource that they are. So go ahead. Why is that one of your primary three?
1: I, th- I think for me, books sort of and vocabulary and reading underpin everything that a child does in the classroom. So there's no subject that you're in where you're not going to be able to read even in music you you read music in PE you need to understand rules or you need to even you know understand the instructions you're being given and I think if you don't have that vocabulary and you don't have that language then it can really hinder you um but beyond that books also have such a relevance to building empathy to giving them experiences that they won't have within their own lives and just being able to have that understanding of the world around them um And i think that's something that actually you can't get from a lot of other things in class we can teach it but actually until they've read it and they develop those feelings and that knowledge for themselves sometimes it's not as accessible as you might want it to be um and especially now we're in such a rich year a rich you know period of years for children's literature literature i just think what better resource have you got for the classroom
0: that's excellent i think i think many teachers would agree that know when we think about the important things in the classroom that we have the resources we can pull out you know which is just to hand you know books are one of the the biggest things and so i don't think uh you know this is only convincing on that but what i'd love to know is you know obviously books are are one of your things you're passionate about you mentioned you're a reading lead earlier and i imagine that you had a lot of kind of exposure to to kind of promoting that in school so i kind of want to ask you two kind of main things the first thing is is there any, um, you know, ideas or resources or places that you would direct teachers to go? Say they were starting a new topic. And do you know, actually, I I actually had this experience the other day with a a teacher that I job share with uh, about our next half term. And we were looking for books for a certain topic. And then you've got the internet and it's like, okay, where do I start? What what would you say to those teachers?
1: There's a brilliant website actually called Books for Topics. um, And you can go on there and you can find um say you're doing victorians you would search on there and there'd be books for victorians for qsh1 for qsh2 um and the second place is is twitter it's so simple just to go on there and say this is the topic i'm doing does anyone have any good book ideas and often you'll have more than you need or more than it more than the internet would even give you but they're actually you know used by teachers Um, I would say, though, my one caveat with that would always be to at least try and read the book before you do it, because not every book will suit each class. Just because it's worked with one year five class doesn't mean it will work with another. um, And you have to be passionate about it as well. So, for example, and this is where people might think I'm a bit crazy because this is a bit against the grain, I think. But I personally really don't like the book Holes. Um, I don't like to teach it. I've never enjoyed it personally. Um, if you look on the internet, most people love it, but I personally don't. So I would struggle to teach that within my classroom because you just don't have the passion for it. And I would I would say, you know, try and find books that you're passionate about sharing with children too, because the work that they do will just be a thousand times better.
0: Absolutely. That I think there's so many things we could talk about from this because you're so right. I think that reading the book, obviously, first is important. And obviously, you know, the natural thing for a teacher who's very short on time to do is to go, right. There's this book that I've seen. Let's just see what resources people have made and I can use. And that's great. But obviously, like you say, you have to have read it. You need to, to get that content internalised so you can talk about the, the, the book with the class. And then, of course, like you say, not every book that is, you know, highly rated from other teachers, you are going to, going to enjoy teaching yourself. What I had a similar experience. So I uh, I love the book Wonder. Uh, I think it's a great book. I've used it with a number of year six classes Uh, And there's a lot of discussion around the science as well with the kind of adaptation and and evolution and talking about that. But then the the teacher that kind of took over my role in that school, you know, I said, oh, look, here's all these questions I come up with, The wonder there's all these resources and they just didn't like the book. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's their, that's absolutely their choice. They're the teacher for that class. They know the class better. They, they get to know Mm -hmm. them a lot more. Uh, And so I think it's important that we, uh, we obviously recommend these books, but also recognize that it's important the teacher really gets the passion and the the message behind that book, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think just because one book works for you in a class, one year even, doesn't mean it'll work for the next class you have. I think there's only maybe two or three books that I've been able to use with every class. So Boy in the Tower, doesn't matter which class I crack it out with, they all love it. Mm. Um, But there's other books that I've tried with some classes. So Northern Lights, we've done with a year six class. One class loved it really got into it. The next class just really struggled with it. And we eventually said, should we just stop reading it because they weren't getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. They didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, yeah, it really is your prerogative. I think as the class teacher, if you've got the freedom to pick your own books, then do. And I think it's always important as well that you don't fix just within a topic. So just because your topic is Vikings, don't just think about Viking texts. There's other ways that you can link it in. Uh, because sometimes if you shoehorn a text in just because it fits the topic, it, it doesn't always actually get you the best results that you can get.
0: Excellent. That's a really good point. I think, you know, we're always pressured to choose a book for a, ter- a half term or for a three week block or cycle. Uh, and like you say, I think rightly so, we are trying to push for, for a cross-curricular approach and that there's many arguments for and against that. But, you know, I know that many teachers think that is a way that they can cover their content. But like you say, there are some ta- there are some topics where it would be just that a-, a token gesture, really, wouldn't it? And so, would you say that in those times where, with that particular topic, there isn't really anything out there that you are personally aware of, what what would you say is you know just don't use a book for that topic and maybe focus on something else with your English?
1: Yeah, I think it's important to um, to find things that suit your topic where possible. If that's what you have to do. But if there isn't anything available, then yeah, I would I would pick something else because otherwise your English will suffer because it's not something that, you know, you can get that creativity and passion out of. And again, it's I think a lot of people limit themselves to a novel for their class text. But actually, you can look at picture books as well. Mm. Um, Even in year six, I've done some brilliant work with Stone Age Boy, uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors, The Legend of Rock, Paper, Scissors. That was a great book. Um, And they didn't necessarily link to our topic or it did very loosely link to our topic um but actually it was some of the best writing uh so yeah i think it's really important to do what's best for your class at that time
0: absolutely that's great um we had a similar experience with year six actually just in lockdown we had a book called the lost happy endings and that was a picture book uh and they absolutely loved it it was it was good because they were remote learning so they could visually see the pictures which was nice we were able to send those over uh, and it just made it a lot more immersive that's great I wanted to ask actually thinking about these kind of we're just reeling off these books here and i know you've mentioned that books for topics and twitter are a great place to go to find out about books that are kind of out there and that the teachers know about is there somewhere that you are aware of where or what would you would you say is your tip to teachers who want to be up to date on new books that come out what would be the places to, to go to to try and find out what books are being produced or published out there
1: I find out all of my information on Twitter, really.
0: Yeah, Twitter as well.
1: Um, I think it's, it's such a wealth of knowledge. And there's um, Scott Evans, Mr. E. Um, he produces loads of posters of things like, if you like so and so you're going to like this author as well and i think i i get a lot of mine from his tweets or from his website he's got a website connected to himself as well the reader teacher i think it's called um and i i just use other teachers because i think as a profession generally we keep quite up with the literature that's coming out we like to talk to authors we like to see what's going on um and it's through twitter that i've become lucky enough to review books as well so i find out a lot from publishers you know bef- before they're out uh in the public but I would never have had that opportunity if it wasn't for Twitter and, and the book community that's on there in the first place. So I would highly recommend using Twitter as, as a way to find out more about books.
0: Excellent. That's brilliant. And then kind of my last question around books before we move on then. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously you, you mentioned you spend some time as reading lead. And I think that there's yeah. a lot of discussion right now about how we can really engage children in reading for pleasure more. Because um, obviously I think that, I mean, Generally, as as a primary education, we're doing well with looking for books, using texts to, to improve our liter- to improve our English, our writing, our reading in school. What some, is there anything that you've tried in your school that's worked really well with promoting reading for pleasure?
1: We actually did a day called "Do Not Stop Reading," uh, where every child had the chance to buy a donut and just listen to a story, um, and it really got them hyped about reading, um, and it raised a lot of money uh, for the school as well, uh, which we. We were organising um, a book festival actually, but that got stopped because of COVID. <laughs> um, but they were really excited about it. Um, I think, you know, getting authors involved where possible is always a great way to do it. I think if children actually have the chance to speak to them or get letters from them, that always seems to really get them involved in reading. And we also did a, a book uh, fair with Bookwagon. Um, And they came into the school and did an assembly all about their books. And then every class had the chance to go down and speak to them as well. And the take up of books was phenomenal. They sold out of books on the day and had to do loads of orders for our children as well. And I think even I was surprised about the amount that, you know, that we sold and the kids loved it. And the talk that came out of them afterwards was just amazing. So I think I would say if you can use an independent bookseller for your book fair, the difference is really drastic and it's actually such an improvement on reading for pleasure.
0: That's great that's a really good recommendation that because I think again that's something that maybe some schools haven't tried out yet you know you have your, your yearly book fair and that's great and it's there but it's just kind of left there for them to go and pick and you usually get the children that are yeah. already interested in reading going to those fairs don't you so I think that's a yeah. really good idea that's great thank you. Right well let's move on to uh, your your second of the primary three then uh, which is similarly based uh, in terms of language but more specifically that reading a vocabulary is a key to learning so why is that a a really important thing for you?
1: So as I previously mentioned I think that having the vocabulary in the language uh, allows you to open doors in other subjects so for example I'm currently doing um, a scholarship with the Farmington Institute which is part of Oxford University and it's all about how reading can have an effect on um smsc and it's something that actually in schools is so embedded that we don't often think about it but by having vocabulary and language about feelings and emotions and society and you know your moral compass if children can articulate those things then it allows it to become more of a discussion and if you discuss things you're going to be able to understand them more so i think you know vocabulary really does underpin everything and if you don't have the vocabulary to express yourself then you're not going to have the vocabulary to, to academically succeed either. I think it's all very intertwined and it really underpins each other.
0: Definitely. Uh, I love that. I think that's really interesting that in terms of um, your research behind reading having an impact on F- SMSC. So whereabouts in that process are you in terms of that, that research that you're doing?
1: So it's a year long. Um, so I've got to do a presentation and a report on it in June um, but I'm also producing resources. Part of that is I produce resources based on a range of books that do chapter by chapter questions and resources for for teachers to use to facilitate those discussions, um, because it was something that I was really passionate about. And I think really, you know, really needs to be within the classroom. And I think often we read books and, you know, whole class reading sessions or guided reading sessions, it turns into picking the book apart or analyzing it. And this is more of, In being inspired by it instead so one of the books I've used is The Day the Screens Went Blank which is a new one by Danny Wallace um, which is very topical because it's all about what would happen if technology disappeared and rather than focusing on you know the inferences or the predictions necessarily it's well okay well how would you survive in that world what would you feel like and it's it's really allowing discussions between the discussions to happen between children which I think Balances out their academic learning, but also gives them that social ability as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm writing so much down here. This this is I find I'm finding this really really interesting. So I love that idea because you're you. right. You know, when we have, we tend to have two reading modes, don't we? Uh, I think at this stage in primary education, you either have, like you say, the whole class reading, which I think by you know by desire to do it or having to do it because of COVID nineteen, a lot of people are using that kind of approach right now. And whether they go back to a carousel afterwards or not is obviously, you know, down to a number of teachers. But at this position, we're all kind of in this mode where we have to try and teach to the whole class without getting within groups. Uh, And so, you know, you've either got a mode within whole class guided reading where you're picking apart whatever skill you're looking at, whether you're looking at inference or you're looking at prediction or whatever it is you're looking at. And then you have another mode, which is like reading for pleasure or reading to the whole class, where you're just meant to read and just, you know, enjoy that story. But actually that, that idea of picking apart, well, not picking apart, but just having that talk about, you know, the, the emotions going on in that story and just the, you know, what would you do in this situation? I think that's a really great springboard for that. You've mentioned a couple already, uh, in terms of the screen, when the screens go blank and obviously, you know, I think children have a really, uh, don't really have an understanding of what life would be out like without that technology today. Um, yeah. Is there any kind of places that you would be able to signpost teachers who are interested in, in doing more stories like this, you know, looking at how we can use stories to unlock the power of SMSC um, that they can go to? I mean, obviously, I suppose, really, it's just finding a good book that lends itself well and just picking out those big questions. But is there any that you would send them if they're interested in finding out more about that?
1: Um, there's a really good website called the Empathy Lab. Um, and they're really focused on finding books that it's called the Empathy Collection. Um, finding books that actually do focus on emotions and focus on, you know, building that empathy and that understanding within children. So I think they're always a really good a really good place to start. Um and I often look on their collections as well to see if there's any new books I haven't heard of or if there's anything I haven't used in the cash room yet. So I think that would definitely be the first place that I would look
0: that's fantastic that's perfect i think you know if, if if there's at least one place we can go and have a look at that you know i think when it, particularly as we get into kind of the summer term and obviously it's been a very different year and i think you know after having th- thought about a lot of the things we're trying to deal with with school in terms of children and monitoring those emotions and dealing with having missed two large chunks of their education out in the last couple of years i think we're going to find that there's a lot more need uh, to kind of support and uh you know, help children model how they work through those emotions. And so doing that through a story is great. So thanks for sharing that. That's a great, uh, great point to make. Right. Uh, let's move on then to your final uh, of the primary three. Uh, and this one, uh, I'm going to read what you've sent me. It says, uh, if you're not getting support, it's probably a change of school you need, not a change of you. So uh, obviously, you know, share away. Well, why, why do you think that's an important thing? Why have you come to that? Why, where's that advice come from? We'll have a little talk around that.
1: So I personally had a really negative experience in my first school. Uh, I was there for four years, but by the end of the fourth, well, by the middle of the fourth year, really, I knew it wasn't the place for me. I I considered leaving teaching. Uh, I didn't know whether it was the job for me anymore. Um, And as I was thinking about it, I thought I need to try somewhere else. If it's it's probably the school. Uh, It it was... um, a certain situation shall we say <laughs> that made me leave so it was something that i could i couldn't change it about the school uh, because it was it was another member of staff so i chose to um hand in my notice with no job to go to but i was really really lucky that i ended up at the next school that i went to the head was really supportive um she listened to me so when i went for a walk around she sat me down with the deputy they listened to me about what had happened about what my story was And they still chose to take a chance on me um i was a nervous wreck (laughs) when i started that school i i my confidence was gone and by the end of the time where i left to go to my new role i had flourished i think is probably the right word um they they supported me through and actually had i given up on the first school i would have left the profession when actually it wasn't me as a teacher, it was that that first environment obviously wasn't the right one for me, or it obviously wasn't the place where I was able to to really do well. Um, I've been quite public with that experience and I've I've put it out online. And I've had a lot of people who have contacted me as an NQT to say, I'm in that position. I don't know whether I should teach. I don't know whether I should leave. And my advice is always to try another school. If you go to another school and you feel the same, then maybe it is not the career for you. And maybe it's, you know, something that isn't going to change. But actually, if you've gone to another school and you don't feel the same anymore, well, that's brilliant. That means that you're getting the support you need or it's the environment for you or it's just the way of working that actually suits you better. But I would recommend that nobody gives up without, without giving it another go because it, it we'd lose so many good teachers if that happened.
0: Mm. And one right here in this podcast, which, which, is a, which is, you know, would be a real shame. I think you know we obviously primary education voices. We're trying to raise these these voices of these inspirational educators, and obviously, you know we talk about great positive stuff. We talk about oh these great ideas and oh this is fantastic. But I think it's important we have this conversation as well. Is that you know sometimes you may find yourself in a school and you may absolutely not feel right in that place, whatever that reason might be, and we would have to go into those details, but. I think that whatever the reason is you know like you say it's worth having a trying to to stick with education but just change that setting what what you shouldn't do I think uh, from what you're saying is that stay in that situation cuz it'll hopefully get better because mm-hmm. it might do but then again it might not and obviously that situation will just not improve but what for you emily cuz obviously you you mentioned at the start of this podcast you felt that this was what you wanted to always do, uh, teaching. Uh, but then, obviously, your first experience of you know full time teaching was this mm-hmm. negative experience. And four years is a long time to you know kind of stick with that. I'm quite amazed. What was it that kept you in primary education? Would you say?
1: I think it was the drive that I'd always wanted to do it. And when I did my PGCE, um, I was told that I was a good teacher. I did mm. I did well in my PGCE. And then it was almost a bit of a false sense of security. I handed my notice in actually in my NQT year and then ended up changing my mind because Ofsted came two days later um, and told me I was doing okay. Wow. Um, and I ended up, I had two all right years and then the last year was just, it was just not worth saying anymore. And I just think it was the passion for doing it. I loved the creativity of teaching. I love making a difference to children. I love being in the classroom it's different every day and that's what made me think no actually I'm going to give it another go and I was really lucky that I've got a supportive group of friends both on Twitter and you know in my actual life who were who were like don't give this up this is what you've always wanted to do don't let one person be the reason that you don't get to have the future you want and it took a bit of talking around from other people (laughs) but eventually I did make the decision to stay and I mean lucky for me I did really
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and I think that's an important point as well is that it was it was the drive obviously and that was a key factor I think and you know I have had a feeling that might have been a factor behind it from what you said before but actually yeah. what you said about Twitter as well and just kind of the support that you had and yeah. what's interesting is that the support you had didn't say oh you know stick at that job you know they just said don't leave primary education don't don't leave that wonderful thing that you've decided to do and you've gone on to to be successful in and I find it so interesting that one of the things that kept you in that school for another three years was Ofsted, <laughs> which, you know, I think, you know, we often uh, point towards as the issue that's making teachers leave. Ironically, in this case, it helped help you stay uh, for a bit longer. Um,
1: yeah, the, the Ofsted inspector who came round, um, they, it's when they had just stopped giving you a grade in your lessons. Um, and I had spent an awful weekend the weekend before. I did no planning, no marking, because I was ultimately giving in my notice on the Monday and I'd, I'd had to make this horrific decision about what to do. So when the call came through on Monday to tell me that they were coming in, uh, or it might have been Tuesday, tell me that they were coming in, I had nothing prepared. So the Ofsted inspector sat me down after my lesson and said, it was actually it was actually good. I don't know why you were so worried about it. And he had a really nice conversation with me Um, And I had one lesson that didn't go so well, because I I wasn't prepared. It was my own, you know, my own making. But he was really kind about it and really supportive, bearing in mind, I was an NQT in a small school. And I don't think, you know, if he'd had that conversation with me, I would have, I would have bothered staying because I would have felt that I was the problem. But to have an offset inspector, sit me down and say, No, do you know what, there were really good qualities to your lessons, really made me think, Actually, that okay, maybe it's not me, maybe it's the support I'm getting. So, yeah, most people see them as a bit of a villain, but I've only ever had a positive experience
0: with Ofsted. So, <laughs> that's great. I love that. I think it's, I, I know, so <laughs> that I was uh, someone that I used to teach with said to me one day, just randomly, So, I'm going to share something that you that I've not shared with many people. And I was like, Oh, all right, then, <laughs> where's this going? Uh, and they said, um, you know, I think I'd really like to be an Ofsted inspector one day. And I was like, what? And then she <laughs> explained that, you know, I have seen Ofsted at its worst. I've seen inspections where, yeah, there were things that needed to work on in the school, but the way that they went about it was just, you know, not great. And I just, I, t- I said to myself, I'm not going to be, I want to be that change. And it sounds like, you know, with that kind of person that you had, that kind of inspector that you had, Um no that's a really uh, that's a really fascinating experience thank you for that. Um so obviously if there is and if there is anyone listening uh, to this podcast and you are in that in a similar situation where you're in a in a career that you want to do and you're really struggling obviously the message here is is don't give up that that dream of what you've wanted to do. Um in terms of um you kind of touched on this already I think but in terms of obviously that teacher that's listening that is struggling in primary education and they just don't know if it's worth it uh, or if if there's a better way or a better place to go outside of primary education you would say to stick Mm -hmm. at it What, what would you say is kind of the best way to go about it how do you go about finding that school then that is going to be better for you would you say did you kind of just fall into it or was there some things you tried to look out for
1: mine was a bit of both really I was really lucky that it happened to be a year six job and they needed an experienced year six teacher um so it put me in good stead already because it was June that that went out there wasn't going to be many experienced year six teachers that that were available um but part of it was as I mentioned before when I went um and looked around and they sat me down and took the time to listen and and really understood what I was saying and I think any school that's prepared to sit down with a candidate and have a conversation and actually take on board what you're saying and sound supportive before they've even invited you for an interview is always a really good sign I think it's important to ask the right questions and go and visit a school don't apply for a school if you're in a if you're in a negative situation so, put my teeth in if you're in a negative situation already don't uh, go to a school without looking round because you need to get a feel for that school you don't want to put yourself into another similar situation so if their behavior policy is the same for example is that going to be a factor that hold you back if they have lots of marking that they expect is that going to be good for your work-life balance I think it's asking those key questions that you know will have an impact on you and I think the second thing is to try and you know keep your ear to the ground if it's a local area can you talk to somebody about that school can you find out more information about it and finally I think you know find support from somebody so one of the reasons I'm so vocal about my experience um publicly on Twitter is because there's it feels so lonely when you're in that situation you feel like everyone else is doing a good job that it must be you and actually if you just reach out to somebody and say I'm in this situation I'm not feeling good about it what can I do actually sometimes somebody you don't know will give you more fair and impartial advice than somebody you do Mm. and it just makes you feel a little bit less alone and part of me being able to move as well was somebody else saying to me, Actually, do you know what i put in that situation, and this is what I did. So, I think always find someone who's been in that situation, listen to their advice, and feedback to them. If you've been and visited a school, feedback to someone and say, This is what's happened. Do you think that's a good sign? Do you get a good vibe from that? And be able to have someone to talk it through with because I think making that decision on your own when you're already feeling lonely can be overwhelming. Um, so problem shared and a prob- is a problem halved, and all of that.
0: That's that's great. And I think, like you say, Twitter is a great place for that. There is a lot of positivity on there. Uh, And there are Mm -hmm. really good people that just want to to reach out and support others. And so I'm pretty certain that if, you know, you are in that situation and you just ask for that help, you know, there will be someone there that's willing to give you that time of day just to send a message and just give you that advice. And I think that the the questions you just gave there were really useful or or the, the ideas you gave, obviously asking the right questions looking at if and I think it's hard to pick out what the right questions are I think unless you know you know the situation that you're in and you know the the list of things that are the issue and so whatever those issues are those are the questions you would say then to ask a a potential new school
1: yeah definitely you need to focus on what works for you because the reason that somebody doesn't like their current teaching role or their current school isn't going to be the same as the next person so you need to hone in on what it is that you're not happy with so that you don't end up in that situation again definitely
0: yeah definitely yeah that's great and i like that idea of making those connections and networking finding out what the school is like you know i think you know you uh you listen to whoever it is leading you around the school and you know that they're trying to sell you that position in that school to whoever's being shown around so of course you know they're going to try and show it in the most positive light as they should you know and that it's their right to do that but i think like you say it's uh, it's trying to find out not all the, the, the secrets of the school. That's not, I think, what we're saying. It's just, what is it like being in this school on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's not about finding out those secrets, but it's, it's just talking to the local community. So, I mean, obviously, people live in bigger places. I live in a town that's everybody... You're going to know somebody who works in every school or you're going to know a parent or a child at that school. Mm. And I think it's asking about those different opinions. So if somebody's heard something about that school... It doesn't mean that you don't apply there or you don't go and look around because again, their negative experience might not be the same as yours, but it's always something then that you know to ask. So if somebody says, oh, I've heard the marking policy is really heavy, then you know when you go there to say, oh, what is your marking feedback policy like? And it just gives you that sort of heads up for the questions to ask or the things to look out for. So like you said, it's not finding the secrets, but it's it's again, seeing if it's the right place for you.
0: That's great, yeah. I think... Um... I could I think that that is such an important thing because it's something which will make a big difference because like you said earlier if you make that move for the second place and it isn't right again that's when you that's when you can kind of feel like well that's it then I'm not going to I'm going to finish with this and it'd be yeah. such a shame if you haven't done that work like you said uh, to to find out if that's the right place or if you're just going into another situation which is exactly the same um yeah, yeah. I think that's great any any more thoughts on that
1: I I think it's all just about like you said about networking I think again if I hadn't been on Twitter if I hadn't networked the way that I had before this situation had happened I think as much as you can talk to your non-teacher friends about the job they don't understand it it's not the same if you're in an office job and it's not good you just leave and go somewhere else it's very simple isn't it but I think teaching is a career like no other no one understands it unless you're actually a teacher I mean I still have comments from my parents that enrage me sometimes about the job because they just don't get it and I think by having that support network and that support system of people who truly understand the situation that you're in you're just going to get much more valuable feedback and advice
0: absolutely and I think actually one last thing you could probably think about is you know when now that you've gone through that experience Emily I think that when you see other teachers in your school having a bad time I think you're able to empathise a lot more we've talked about empathy before uh, and we seem to be coming into connecting with all your primary three here um, which is always how it turns out which is quite interesting on the podcast but yeah you've had that experience you've you've lived that and so you are then in a much better position to, to reach out and to to support that that teacher that's maybe in your school 'Cause I think like you say, some teachers may be in one like the same school and one might love it there and the other might really not. Uh mm-hmm. and so it's being aware of that, I think, as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's made me know how to be a bit more compassionate for other people. And I'd like to think that both online and offline, I am quite a compassionate kind person. But it, it can sometimes make me a bit more um I don't I don't know how to say it, but I'm a bit more openly passionate about what I think is right and wrong, shall we say. So if I see something happening that I really don't think is right or I I know won't be good for someone's well-being, I think it's made me a lot more vocal and able to speak up and be an advocate for people, I think, Um, which sometimes I think it's, it's hard to hold back your thoughts. And maybe I don't do that as well anymore because I just really look out for other people as well as myself and I think it's made me better at speaking up but it's still that balance of finding okay well do they want you to speak up for them or is this the right time to speak up Um, and that's something that I think people need to consider because you you don't want to speak up for somebody all the time and at the same time you want to support them so I think that's for me in the last couple of years it's been about finding that balance but I'd like to think that it's made me a lot more compassionate. Um, and helpful to others which is why I do say to people if they feel that way to contact me because you know having been through it you do just want to help other people because you'd never want anyone to feel the way that you have
0: absolutely Now that's great thank you for sharing that and I think it's a really um, it's obviously something that's quite personal to you because you've been through that experience uh, but like you say when you go through that experience you you gain that understanding and that that patience and just those things that you've done which have helped you to get through it and if they help someone else get through it, then that's fantastic. And if and if it doesn't work out for them, then that's they've got a different journey. Uh, I think that you know, I, I don't think it's a problem to ever uh, want to uh, share and to support others. Great. Well, uh, let's. We'll, we'll finish. We've we'll got last two questions. Uh, so we've got first of all, who would you recommend for a future uh, pri- a future primary education voices podcast?
1: Um. I was going to recommend Sophie Bartlett, but I know that you've already spoken to her. Um, So the next one would be uh, Cassie Hayward-Tapp. She um, is a year six teacher as well. Um, And she also does journaling teacher, but she's just such a positive person. um, And she as well is a really good advocate. So I often go to her if I need talking up because she's really good at helping you feel more positive about yourself. So I think she'd be really interesting to talk to.
0: Fantastic. That's great. Thank you very much. And then finally, like we like, we like to finish all of our interviews with our wonderful uh, primary teachers or primary practitioners or primary teaching assistants or primary head teachers or whoever you are. What is the best thing about being in primary education for you?
1: It's probably the common answer, but the children, I think the fact that they make it different every day, that you never know what's going to come up, that you never know what tangent you're going to go on. Uh, We once had a discussion because a child thought that bread grew, a loaf of bread grew in the ground. And in fact, that was the whole hour then that we talked about where food came from and how bread was made. And I think, you know, it's all of those conversations that you don't expect to have. And when they surprise you with their kindness and maturity, I think that's what makes every day special is just how different it can be. It's probably the common answer that everyone gives, but that's definitely what it is for me.
0: it it certainly does come up but it's not it's not the only answer absolutely not and so (laughs) so but i think it's interesting that you know many of us find you know the best things the same and i think that's what keeps us in this wonderful job that we have so uh so once again thank you emily for joining us on primary education voices podcast it's been a pleasure talking to you and it's been wonderful getting some of your thoughts and ideas so thank you very much
1: thank you for having me
0: Well wasn't that brilliant uh, another wonderful episode with another inspirational educator. Uh, Emily Weston was fantastic. Uh, she shared some wonderful ideas. Uh, clearly has a great love of reading. Uh, her her after school club, you know, she's starting up next half term which will be the summer term in 2021 uh, with creative writing. Uh, and so if you have any uh, you know passion to do that or any ideas you want from her, I'm sure she is very happy to respond and share some ideas that she's using there. Um and it's Interesting. I think Emily is probably the first person that we have had on this podcast, and so it's the first in 10 where she's known for without a doubt she's wanted to be a teacher her whole life. Uh and I think that was interesting because what it then shedded a light on later is that when she had a real struggle when she first started in this uh, profession, that was the thing that really drove her to stay in it. Uh, and I'll talk about in a moment why that was so important, but I just thought it was interesting to get an insight into why she wanted to go into education. And and that was that she didn't really challenge herself that much uh, when she was in education herself. And so she wants to have other children not go through that uh, experience that she did. And I think that's really inspirational. I love that motivation. And then she shared her, th- her primary three, of course, books we have mentioned before uh, in a couple of uh, previous episodes. But I loved Emily's um, approach to this. Uh, and about how, you know, sometimes when we're planning a unit of work in English or whatever it is, we often try and look for those cross-curricular links. It just makes things flow a bit better through our day, helps the children make the links fun of the knowledge between lessons and build that knowledge even more. And so, you know, it's a natural thing for us to want to do in some cases. Not everyone has it has that uh, desire to cross-curricularly teach their lessons, and that's absolutely fine, depending on your context and your setting. Um, but Emily, I thought it was interesting, she said that you know, if you are shoehorning in a in a book, say it's about Vikings, and you you don't have a book that is appropriate or relevant or it would fit your context at that moment in time on Vikings, then don't shoehorn something in about Vikings just because you need to have a book in there. I think that was a really insightful comment, and one that sometimes we we might be a little uh, reluctant to go and do because you know we 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 know that we have to have a book in English, and it's something that we need to have. We take one book and we and we we study that a lot more, but. I think it was interesting to make and important to make that point. Uh and there were some great places to uh, that she suggested that we can go to find books such as books for topics and then Twitter. She mentioned uh, Scott Evans on there but basically many people on Twitter who can share those great ideas with you. Leading on to the next one as uh, she talked about vocabulary language opening doors so using stories and reading to build upon skills and empathy and smsc uh, and building you know the the qualities and the attributes that a child needs to have to to develop and do well in their life not just their reading skills but of course that is interesting that unlocks the door to a lot of learning as she says but actually it can unlock the door to understanding their emotions and building empathy and i thought that was a really interesting insight not something i've really considered very much we of course occasionally use stories in the pshe lessons things like that but really exploring a story to unlock that empathy I think will be really important and so as as she continues that study uh, with uh, with the scholarship she was she was working on I, I'm going to be checking in and finding out what she's been finding and any resources further resources she has that empathy lab though sounds great and then finally and I didn't actually write down any notes for this section but I think it was one of the most um, insight well in terms of the the things that Emily spoke about, probably the most unique thing we've had so far on this podcast series and that was talking about what do you do when you're in a school and you are just hating the job and I use the word hating there you know on purpose it's not only you just don't quite like it it's just you are in a really bad place you know what what can you do and I think that Emily really shared some really important points and that first of all and first and foremost as she said was it's likely not you it's likely the school. And sometimes it's not because, you know, the school are, is a bad school. Sometimes it's just not the right fit for you. The people are not the right fit for you. Uh, and so I love the insights that she gave us in terms of looking out in other schools, putting your ear to the ground and seeing, you know, what is that school really like? Are you going from a bad situation to a, to a bad situation? Looking at what it is about the school that you're at that you're not happy with. And then asking about those things when you go and visit the other setting that you're thinking about applying for, uh, I think you know we we lose too many good teachers in education, uh, and, and many of them, not all of them, of course. And Emily did make that point as well, but you know many of them could possibly be avoided if you know they have that um, that advice and that support network to help them through that out of that situation and perhaps into a situation that is better for them. Really great insights, and actually Emily and I as I do tend to do with most of my guests chatted for another half hour afterwards, just about other things, because it was just a great inspiration to, to meet and to sit down with her and to share those thoughts about primary education and why it is so great. Well, all that's left for me to say is that if there's a primary colleague on the Twitter sphere that you would love to hear more from, you can either contact me on Twitter through at prime edu voices, that's P R I M E D U voices, or me personally at M Roberts 90 Matt, And let me know what inspiring primary teacher, TA or support staff you would love to hear featured on a future episode. And if you'd like to join the conversation, then get in contact yourself. Please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your fellow fellow primary practitioners. Even better, leave a review on your podcasting platform. Please help raise the primary education voice and share this with with one person that you think might be interested. And maybe they'll, they'll learn something from each episode. Thank you for joining me to hear another primary education voice and see you again next time when we meet another inspirational educator.